would like to welcome you back to part three, I believe our final part for our current event and weekly Bible study for May 18th, 2008. And uh, this next part, the first thing I'm looking at here, and I'm going to try to, again, get you all the links to these pictures, is a picture of Todd Bentley. Um, he's boldly showing off his tattoos. And... Uh, He's got a tattoo right, I guess it would be right on his Adam's apple. And it's a, it's a rose. And under it is, is the placard, To Die is Gain. And in the middle of this rose, it looks as though a, a skull is emerging out of the rose. Like a, like a skull, like a human skull. Very, very, very demonic looking. Now they're saying that this might be one of these Onis that's coming out of it. He's also got his, his cross on and his... Uh, his uh, He's got dog tags tattooed onto his body, like the army dog tags and stuff. And so he's got those tattooed on him. And all kind of, uh, who knows what kind of tattoos this guy has on him. But then the next picture I see a uh, another close-up of this rose with this demonic thing rising out of it. And this, is, uh, this goes on to talk about these Onis. And they call it the Oni Devil. The Oni Devil... In this particular case, with Todd Bentley nestles under the word life, which there's life over the uh, this rose, the the actually the the uh, letter or the word life, and in the middle of the rose, with the message, this Oni's coming out of to die is gain. The two-horned devil or Oni is a Japanese devil. Is very, very popular in Japanese tattoo artwork of today. They're probably the most common of the ghostly beings in Japanese cosmology, and typically depicted as rampaging, violent, and cruel. Almost always shown with horns, and their faces can be quite varied, similar to NOH masks, no masks, and are typically either pink, red, or blue-gray. I went and looked up some of these images last night on the uh, on the internet. These onis. Now remember, the oni is is usually always closely linked in with this mo. So it would be no surprise where you know these two would be depicted on his body together. The oni is a class of magical creatures varying from the size of a small child to that of an eight foot giant. The Oni are evil spirits or demons that have monstrous forms. There are many kinds of Oni, but the most recognized are the Onis of Hell. These creatures are green or red, and have either the head of an ox or a horse, with a human body, and are often depicted with horns wearing tiger skins. Another group of Oni is perpetually hungry and thirsty, with stomachs that are grossly swollen. These Oni have the ability to change their shape. Some Oni are invisible, but all are said to be malevolent and to cause disease. The Earth Oni, according to the Wazari belief, is responsible for disease and epidemics. They are dressed in red. The Oni of Hell hunts for sinners and takes them by chariot to Emma-Hu, or Emma-O, the god of Hell. They are invisible demons among the Oni whose presence can be detected because they always sing or whistle. So, an attribute, if you're possessed by one of these Onis, can be that you singer whistle. And isn't that weird that they had talked about that in the last thing that one of the attributes of these people that are that are being filled with these demonic spirits that Bentley is imparting, the Bam Man, is that some of these people are coming away just uncontrollably whistling. 
Continuing, real revivals do not move on the power of angels. True revivals come by the power of the Holy Spirit of God with sovereign with sov- sovereignty change, bringing people face to face with the state of their lost soul. He will convict them of sin and reveal to them God's divine love and compassion that He sent His dear Son to deliver death. To, li- to deliver them from death through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A demonic angel called Emma has nothing to do with salvation or miracles by the hand of God, obviously. But this is what we're trying to be convinced of. 2 Timothy 4, 3-5 says, For the, su- the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they he- heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from truth, and shall be turned unto fables. And that's exactly what we're talking about here today. They're going to heap to themselves teachers. This is a classic case of the Pentecostal. And they have itching ears. They just want to hear good things. They, want to, they, they just want to hear things that are going to tickle their ears. And they shall turn their ears away from truth. In this case, they're turning it away from the Word of God, which is the ultimate truth. And they shall be turned into fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Now here's another picture of Todd Bentley. This is probably the worst one I've seen yet. And this is a picture of, on his, uh, looks to be his right shin, large picture of a demonic warrior god tattooed on his legs. This god is uh, bare-chested, with piercings. Um, He's real super muscular. He's got this Medusa-like hair. He's, He's got his head cocked up like he's in a real, real proud stance. Um, he's got a sword, and nothing about this thing looks Christian. It looks flat out evil. And while he's showing this tattoo, I'm looking at his right hand, he's got this big, gigantic, evil-looking lion ring. He's got these rings all over his hands. He's got all kind of uh, tattoos on him. He's got what appears to be a gray alien on his left arm, peeking out under his watch. He's got a hexagram on his right arm, flat out, with flames underneath that, and then he's got, looks to be the all-knowing eye of Lucifer, it's an eyeball that's right above the um, hexagram, between the word revelation. And this is just a little bit of what I can see. I mean, if this were, if this man were to be, you could literally take a video camera and probably photograph all the tattoos, and, and you know, do the um, demonic math, so to speak, but we're just going to look at a few things now that we've just that I'm just looking at on this one particular picture. We see a demonic lion ring in, on his middle finger. Um, the lion can signify many things to an occultist. G. E. Surlot definition of Apollo is interesting. Apollo in mythology and alchemy, his spiritual and symbolic significance is identical to that of the sun, spreading golden hairs, which crown the god's head and have the same meaning as the bow and arrow. The Greek name for Apollo is Apollyon, which we know from the Bible, which means from the depths of the lion, and expresses the meaningful relationship of the sun with the fifth sign of the zodiac, Leo, or Leo the lion. Lion is a solar deity. Um, we then see letters on his, on his hand that we don't really know what they say. Um, he has a Hebrew letter near his thumb. He's got flame shooting down toward his hand. Hexagram on his right arm. Uh, let's see here. Uh, he's got an eagle on him. 
Let's see here. And then in Revelation 4, 7, it says, And the first beast was like unto a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had the face of a man, the fourth beast was as a flying eagle. Uh, we also see the all-seeing eye of, of uh, Lucifer or Horus on him, an inverted cross on the one hand. Uh, so he's also got a rose, you know, obviously on his throat, which is the symbol of Rosicrucianism. You know, you could go on and on. And these are just what, what they've been able to get off some of these pictures. You know. The eagle was also sacred to the sun, according to the Persians and Greeks. People in Egypt used to worship eagles. The Greeks regarded it as a sacred symbol of Zeus and of the supreme god by the Druids. Some people believe that when Jesus said, I am the way, that he, that he lied. Some people believe that. They believe that there are many roads to God. Unfortunately, man's channels of supernaturalism is Satan's counterfeit religion. The host of darkness has converged upon the world, and many churches are offering counterfeit faith and counterfeit gifts. The word of God implies that these spirits are legion, meaning they're many. But the Bible says you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. So you have to ask yourself that question if you're going to go to a, a Lakeland revival, because this is the cup of devils. You can't do both. You cannot bow the knee to both Baal and God. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and the table of devils. Do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? That's 1 Corinthians 10.21. Well, i got news for you. If you are a born-again Christian going to Lakeland under this deception, then you are provoking God. And He will chasten you. Guaranteed. And if you're not getting chastened and you're there and you're footloose and fancy free and everything's going great, you're not His kid. Because the Bible says, Whom the Lord loveth, he also chasteneth. And if you be without chastisement, you're bastards. Which is an illegitimate son. So I just don't believe you, as a born-again Christian, can go to these things and God have no conviction of sin, nothing, everything's great, with all the obvious, flagrant stuff that we've just mentioned. I mean, I think I can say that to back myself up. The New World religion is here. You can follow any religion that you want, and the devil will answer you. You can follow any religion you want, and the devil will answer you. Including the pseudo-Christian stuff that we're talking about today. You can worship any false god, demonic angels, including yourself. And it will be fine just as long as you just don't say, Jesus Christ is the only way to God. This man writes, he says, I've been in ministry for 33 years, and I can tell you that this is pure demon possession. Being stirred up by a bunch of hooligans. I have ministered in Africa many times and the manifestation that we are seeing in this revival is exactly as the same as we see in Africa. The difference is in Africa they are cast out. However, in America these demonic manifestations are called the anointing of the Holy Ghost. See, in Africa they know better. If you brought a group of Africans over here, they, they would probably, you know, a lot of them that were privy to this and maybe had grown up in witchcraft would know this is of the devil. But no, no, here we call it the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Again, very, very dangerous to attribute something that this, this purely evil to the Holy Ghost. Strong delusions working by strange signs and wonders. And this one will lead people to kiss the mouth of hell. Here's another tattoo of his right shoulder. And he's wearing his Harley Davidson black and orange shirt. Black and orange being, you know, two of the, the colors of the devil. And we've got this picture of this lion, this big lion, this little lamb laying down in front of it. And the lion looks really mad to me. And he's got some crosses in the background. And, 
And this is obviously some reference to the lion laying down with the lamb, but the lion here looks like he's getting ready to eat the lamb to me, which would be more representative of what this man and the spirit that he's operating in. First um, Peter 5, 8, 9, which is ironic because he's got First Peter underneath this lion and the lamb picture. He's got First Peter 5, First Peter written under it, and then 1 Peter 5, 8, 9 says, let's see what it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Now, why would he... Why would he put this, this scriptural verse where the lion lays down with the lamb? Why would he, why would he put this scripture verse, 1 Peter 5, 8, 9, where it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. What is he implying there? That's exactly what he's talking about. The, he's got a picture of a lion, and a lamb is in the foreground, and this lion is going getting ready to devour the lamb. And he confirms that by having 1 Peter on the tattoo underneath it. And then it says, Whom resist steadfastly in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accompanied in your brethren that are in the world. You know, the guy's just telegraphing his punches. And, and then where we have that... Uh, Bible verse where it talks about to not be surprised at the fiery trial which is to try you uh, as though some strange thing happened unto you. That's another one to think about. Now if we go to 1 Peter let's see, 1 Peter uh, 4 1 Peter 4 Okay, let's just read this a little bit here. 1 Peter 4 let's just start with verse 12 which is what we just mentioned. Beloved Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. Guarantee you, that's not being preached at this revival. Oh, no, we don't want to preach about no fiery trial. Everything's just going to get better and better and better. Nothing bad's going to happen to us. But rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings. So when we go through fiery trials, we're actually to rejoice and not feel sorry for ourselves. Because we're partakers with Christ's sufferings. That when His glory shall be revealed, ye shall may be glad with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. Well, that's the earmark of a Christian, evidently, that when you're approached for the name of Christ, you should be happy. Because that's an indicator that the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he is evil spoken of, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him, not, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time will come that judgment must begin at the house of the Lord. Now this is what I'm waiting for. Because we need this judgment to come to the house of God. That's, what, that's their only hope. Because if they're under this much delusion, these people, you're not going to be able to go reason with these people. Particularly ones that have either been supposedly healed, or have had a touch from whatever, or are now demon-possessed because they've had many demon-possessed people lay hands on them. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can wake them up. And when judgment comes to the house of God, I do believe a certain percentage of them will wake up and get saved. I, I just, I, I, I'm, you know, to, to say otherwise would mean that they're all going to hell without any hope at all. And I know I came out of this stuff. So I know there was hope for me. I just pray to God do the same thing He did for me to them and do whatever it takes. If He has to hang these people over hell 
in order to get them saved. Then do whatever it takes, Lord. Better that you hang them over hell for an hour than they burn in hell for eternity. And so, again, I ask you, what's more merciful to pray for them? So the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. After reading what we read today, wouldn't you agree? Well, then pray for it. Pray Psalm 64 over the wicked. Pray that you be accounted worthy of the first resurrection and to escape all the things that are coming upon this earth. Because the Bible said, they that, they that endure the end, the same shall be saved. Okay, now this isn't about work salvation. Okay, This is about the Holy Spirit working through you and doing through you what only the Holy Spirit can do as a born-again Christian through you. It's the only way it's going to happen. You can't do this in and of yourself. All of your righteousness are as filthy rags. Apart from God. The time will come that judgment must begin at the house of the Lord, and if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. Pretty strong stuff. And I'm not saying that because I think I'm better than anybody. Trust me. It, you know, I get convicted as much as anyone else reading these types of verses. So that's why the Bible says, you know, take heed lest you fall. Don't, don't get puffed up with pride. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14 and 15 says, And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it's no great thing if his ministers also be transformed into ministers of righteousness. So we've already read that one. Um... Therefore, it is not to be deemed surprising. You are not to wonder if people of the basest, blackest character put on the appearance of the greatest sanctity. Just look at the Pope. The people of the basest, blackest character. Look at all the pedophile priests. Put on the appearance of the greatest sanctity. Whitened sepulchers full of dead man's bones, as Jesus Christ would say, as he called them vipers and serpents. Oh, you hate them, don't you? I've been accused of that. I hate sin. God hates the wicked. I, I'm not saying I hate them and want them to go to hell, but if they are vessels fitted for destruction, I don't want to see them take any more people to hell. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Galatians 4.16 Jesus Christ called them vipers and serpents. White and sepulchers full of dead man's bones. Oh, Jesus didn't, didn't hate them. The Bible says, Esau have I loved. Or, Jacob have I loved. Esau have I hated. I'm not saying we go around and we are filled with hate and bitterness, okay? But righteous indignation is an attribute of God. And yes, you want to guard against having a root of bitterness springing up within you. Because the Bible says, the root of bitterness springeth up in many and defileth many. So if you walk around in bitterness over this all the time, and you're wringing your hands and you want to really do... Well, that's not right either. Okay, let's have a biblical balance here. But righteous indignation, which, which in God's eyes brings on the judgment of God, that is actually a good thing. Be ye angry and sin not. Okay? But just don't get self-righteous at the same time. Don't get to a point where you think, well, I'm so much better and I'm be above all... Oh, just... You know, Take heed lest you fall. A haughty spirit goeth before destruction. You know, pride goeth before fall. Humility 
And meekness and fear of the Lord is where it's at. So, if we go further, regarding this verse, so these, these people of the basest, blackest character put on the appearance of the greatest sanctity and even become eminent as professed preachers of righteousness. Many of them have many letters behind their names, like DD and whatever. PhD or whatever. Hey, I'm a doctor, but you know, like Paul said, I count that all but dung for the excellency of Christ. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm thankful for all the Lord's given me and these types of things, but you know, if you get puffed up in pride... What good is it going to do you? So whose final destiny, their doom in eternity, shall not be according to their fair professions and their plausible pretenses. For they cannot deceive God. Neither can any of us. Okay? As a Christian, all must appear at the judgment of Christ. And if you're not, you're going to great white throne judgment and there's no hope for you there. You're just going to be cast in a lake of fire. They cannot deceive God, but shall be... a judged according to their real character in their in their works. The unfruitful works of darkness which they have wrought. Their work is a work of deception, and they shall be judged according to that. What revelations there will be in that day of judgment, when all impostors shall be unmasked, and when all hypocrites and deceivers shall be seen in their true colors. And how desirable it is that there should be such a day to disclose all beings in their true character, and forever to remove imposture and delusion from the universe. Well put. Candy Henderson writes regarding this revival. She's writing a lady named Pat, I guess. Friend of mine, Pat, a friend of mine in Canada, told me about something that Todd Bentley has been teaching on his website. He has this teaching talking about the angel of finances, and that they and that he entered a trance-like state. He went into a room, purposely in heaven, called a treasure room, where there were gold coins that Todd began to stuff in his pockets and pants. So God's reigning, Todd's reigning God's treasury now. He's went up to heaven, he's reigning, you know, I've heard so many of these things about these people going to heaven and stuff and all these other things, and the vast, vast, vast majority of the time they're from total apostates that are doing this. So, Todd began to stuff all these gold coins of the the treasure room in heaven into his pockets and pants. And then he goes on to say, but when I read it, the first thing that came to me was the idol of mammon. And that Todd Bentley's reaction was just a reflection of what was in his heart. Greed and lust for wealth. I am like you. This is so way out there and I have heard another person say that this was the judgment of God as well. Well, it is the judgment in as much as we know God was going to be the one standing the strong delusion. That they will be li- will believe a lie, that they might all be damned. See, that's the, the ultimate judgment, and that's what the scary part about this. Patricia King was Todd Bentley's influence in early years. She came out of the occult and has tried to Christianize occult practices, teachings, and symbolism. She has been in meetings and gatherings of strange manifestations, as well as gold dust, diamond dust. I haven't heard of that one. Gemstones, feathers, angel of light masquerading as the angels of God. Another minister by the name of Bill Johnson and his ministry in Redding, California called Bethel Church. He is also associated with Patricia King. And the ministers in this conference with her, and I've come to their church also, Bill Johnson is into the healing thing under the guise 
of focusing on the miraculous to the unsaved and saved. He was interviewed on the 700 Club, but Bill Johnson has some false teachings and instructions as well, where he is coining phrases and cliches as if they're in the Bible, and they're not. And the youth are following him in that thing too. We have heard a we have heard a young person who is wanting to go to his school of the miraculous and learn. And this young person also comes up with his own cliches as if they are scriptural, like God is in a good mood. There is such a mixture going on all over. It's just strange to see so many people getting sucked up in it and justifying it all as those of God. Well, you know, hey, they've been conditioned with Harry Potter and Hollywood and in the public school systems, and, you know, every which way you can imagine, radio, TV, media, it's no wonder. It's really no wonder. And if you go against this apostasy the, that we're talking about today, they will accuse you of being judgmental, of course, not walking in love, dividing up the body of Christ, casting evil aspersions upon those who speak truth, Oh, I've heard all these before. Who are actually doing the very thing they judge those who are warning the truth of. It is going to get even worse that these very people who are so deluded and deceived will even seek to kill some of us thinking they are doing God's service. And I mentioned that earlier. Todd Bentley actually has deep roots in the prophetic movement. False angel encounters of the weirdest kind. Gold dust, guided visualizations of the third heaven that are straight out of the new age. And yet there is, quote, power with it. And that makes it all the more dangerous. See, if he was doing all this stuff and nobody was getting healed, and it was all talk and no action, well, he wouldn't have near as big of a following. But because things are really happening to people, and then they're going, like this one girl we mentioned earlier, and she's going to IHOP, and, and telling everybody, and then healing's breaking out there. She's carrying, like the lady said, it's like carrying a virus with you. And it's infecting other people. And they're ripe for this anyway. Angels are messengers of God, the Father, and He sends them for special assignments. People in the Bible never sought after angels, though, nor do they see people commanding them to do things for them. God does, God does use them to do His work, however. He sent His Son to save and to teach and to give power to those who believe in a biblical way. But we have no biblical right to command angels to do our will because they are they are submitted to the Father and Jesus. Now, I, I think you could actually, you know, when you're praying, God can use angels in order to answer prayer. But it's not something where we're like like Todd Bentley. Yeah, send send all those ministering financial angels to give me money. How crazy! Um, Ephesians. 1, 17-23 said that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of His calling, and what riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power to us word who believe. See, the exceeding greatness of His power to us word who believe. That's where the power is, is in belief. But what does belief imply? Belief implies faith. Without faith it is impossible to please God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Okay? So faith is very, very important. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So there is power here, but they're tapping into the wrong source. They're tapping into demonic power. 
Uh, and then it goes on to say, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not in this world, but also that which is to come. The author believes that this is a dangerous to look for to angels for guidance. Yeah, I would say that's an understatement. When you seek a spiritual experience and ask an angel to come to you, the devil will certainly send you an angel of light. And when you seek to talk to the dead, he will certainly receive an, Im- Im- an imitating demon to appear. Demonic angels will also try to imitate the Holy Ghost. Second uh, Peter 4, 2 Timothy 4, 1-5. through 5. I charge you therefore... Therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, the quick mean the living, the quick and the dead, at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all suffering and doctrine, that's what we're talking about, and that's what we're doing today, we're reproving, we're rebuking, we're exhorting, I'm not really rebuking people in this particular teaching, but we are rebuking what's going on. For the time will come when they will when they will not endure what sound doctrine. That's what they're not going to endure. That's the time we're in. They've thrown their Bibles out the window, pretty much. But after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and that's what we, we talked about earlier. Church leadership has been unwilling to challenge the doctrines of devils and have ignored the power of these teachings. Cemeteries, I mean seminaries, have neglected to criticize the significance of the rise of the New Age acceptance by church leaders. The church, for the most part, the 501c3, and I'll just talk about America because that's where I live, but the 501c3 Corporate Church of America, which is yoked up with the government and the IRS, is not talking about these issues. They're being leavened and corrupted because they've yoked themselves up with, a, with an ungodly government. And there's no New Testament precedent for doing that. If you want to know more about that, um, just email me and, and um, ask for Satan's master plan to destroy the church. Where I get into this, this whole 501c3 status, how it's ruined the church. One of the things that's ruined the church, but a main one. So the seminary, and the seminaries are, are no different, they're 501c3 as well. And then you got to go to, you know, the state to get your respective license to preach. I just don't see any biblical precedent for any of this. I don't remember Jesus going to the, to the Romans or to the Jews and getting a license to preach, or having to get some 501c3 status, or any of the apostles, or any of the martyrs. I'm sorry, I just don't see it there. Consequently, many are ignorant of the New Age theories because the church has done nothing to prepare the flock for the deception that's coming. No, they just sit back and feed them more philosophy and get more and more watered down and more and more contemplative and they're already yoked up with the one world whore church because they themselves are corporate churches. They're already part of the system. It's just another step over when the Antichrist makes his appearance and they all come under the banner of the Catholic church whore. Most likely that's how it's going to go down. I mean, let's face it. First Church of Satan is a 501c3 entity, and you're yoked up with that when you're when you're a, uh, let's say, a Baptist or a Methodist or whatever type of church. You're still yoked up with them. They're the sa- they have the same status. They have the same tax exempt status through the IRS. So something to think about. We find mixtures of New Age ideologies into the isolated scriptures. Um, 
into, into the isolated scriptures, twisting them to say things that are not true. And this is how most pseudo-Christian religious cults get started. Religious spirits sweep into numerous churches, spawning multitudes of false doctrines, false teachers. Countless are flourishing inasmuch as they offer a nearly perfect counterfeit of Jesus, his salvation, his church, and his gospel. I'm not going to give them that much credit as far as a nearly perfect counterfeit. What we're talking about here today isn't even close to being a nearly perfect counterfeit. It is so flagrant that you would have literally long have to have abandoned the Bible to embrace this stuff. The Apostle Paul forewarned the church to watch out for Satan's infiltrating agents when he wrote, For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might bear well with him. But then it goes on to talk about, Let that one be accursed. He says it twice. Okay, we do not... You're bringing yourself under a curse. If you are preaching this type of gospel... And I guarantee it, these people that are being infected demonically through this movement are going and preaching this type of gospel, bringing they themselves under the same curse. Go ahead. Okay, so continuing further, um, there's a misconception amongst Christians to think that a great revival is happening. This is another thing. When in fact the Bible is clear that a falling away must come first before the Antichrist is revealed. And not only that, but we've got all of the other scriptural warnings about evil men and seducers waxing worse and worse. If it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. God's going to send a strong delusion. I, know, I, I rehash these. But the thing is, is, these are verses relating to the end times. Giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. When was that supposed to happen? In the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. So, all of this stuff was predicted, and yet they're saying there's some great revival that's, that's happening, and when the Bible clearly said it wasn't going to be that way. But this is why they love dominionism, because in dominionism they can just justify whatever they're going to do. So, they believe, the Bible's very clear, the falling one must come before the Antichrist is revealed, and this is what we are seeing today. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Okay? That's 2 Thessalonians 2.3. Um, this doctrines of devils. What is the spirit of error? Can a spirit of whoredom rule over church? The Apostle Paul warned Christians to be aware of deceivers, but also to take heed that they would not they be themselves be deceived. Take heed, let no man deceive you. That's what Jesus keeps repeating over and over uh, in, a, in a very similar way in his teachings regarding the end times. Um... So, from the, from the beginning of the church throughout its history, Satan has attacked, has, has attacked it by using evil deceivers. I mean, that's no... And that's 2, Tem, 2 Timothy 3.13. We look at that. The Apostle Paul exposed heresy as a work of the flesh in Galatians 5.20. The evil self-life, the terrifying result of man's fall, is, is responsible for the arbitrary choices of pet teachings as surely as it is a promoter of drunken orgies and dastardly murders. A man governed by his natural mind does not understand the working of the Spirit of God. And all these people are, they're not understanding the working of the true Holy Spirit. They're calling the Holy Spirit something that he would never ever be. Because this is demonic. And we've, we've talked a lot about that today. He may throw himself or herself wholeheartedly into a religion becoming so obsessed with the tenets of some particular church or organization that he can see nothing else. It's demonic brainwashing. You've been overcome because you've let yourself get into bondage. 
of such a man, often such a man is so zealous for the cause he has adopted, that he becomes militant and aggressive to the point of unbending hardness. These are the whole, um, don't confuse me with the facts, my mind is made up type of deal. Galatians 5.24 provides an answer to this heresy. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lust thereof. And we are indeed to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6.11. So these are remedies for this. Now I also mention other remedies. Fear of God. Um, uh, pray for humility and meekness. And these types of things. Um, there, there's a lot of different things biblically that you can do to keep yourself from error. Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and you'll be, I will be a father to you, and you will be, a, I will, you will be my children. Second um, Corinthians six seventeen and eighteen. These types of things. Uh, wherefore, come out from among her and be not partakers of her plagues. So these are things that we need to be doing. Uh, the church shines the brightest when its when its ministers are actually full of the Holy Spirit, lifting a biblical standard against the the world of darkness. See, as Christians, we're called to be salt and light. Okay, light always exposes darkness. Salt is a preservative and is a potential irritant. But as more and more of the body of Christ becomes, well, let's say, some are dying right now and going to glory, and the ones that are in the body of Christ, many of them, um, I think the body of Christ is dwindling as far as numbers go. And there's less and less of us to actually be salt and light and to raise up the standard of darkness against the world. Nevertheless, we do not want to conceal our light underneath a basket, okay, as the Bible talks about. And salt is a preservative and it's always a potential irritant as well. And the worse things get, the more of an irritant you're going to be to people around you that are in air. The Bible is full of testimonies of true as well as false teachers. The test of God's prophet was not because of, popu of the popularity. The majority did not appreciate Jeremiah's prophecies through the, through the words that he spoke, that God spoke through him. And again, another thing about the prophet, the test of a prophet, Deuteronomy 18, where it talks about if a prophet is of God, then what he says will come to pass every single time. You know, these guys, some of these guys claim, you know, they've never missed a prophecy. Well, I've never seen one. I'm sorry. And some of these very same ones that say I've never missed a prophecy, you know, like this one guy, he wears a hexagram skull cap, like he's some pseudo-Jew, he goes around, bless God, I never missed a prophecy, and all this other stuff, he's got hexagrams all over everything, and I think to myself, if this man were truly being led of the Lord, why wouldn't God show him that he's wearing a cursed symbol on his body, in fact, the highest symbol of witchcraft, it's, it's as though when Jesus talks about, you've omitted the weightier matters, you're straining at gnats and swallowing camels, you've put this... And, and these, so many of these people embrace this hexagram. And that's, again, I've done a whole study on the hexagram, two or three. And if you, if you key in hexagram in the, in the little box on the homepage, you can find those. There's just a lot of things to consider that tie in with this. Uh, Jeremiah's condemnation of the sins of the people aroused much hostility. Both in his hometown of Antioch and also in Jerusalem. Let's look at that real quick. Okay, so this is Jeremiah, and you know he had just, um, you know, prophesied. Whew, this is a bad one too. He prophesied in verse um. Really, let's go back to verse ten. Jeremiah talking to the uh, to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. It talks about that in verse. 
2, in verse 3 it says, And say thou unto them, these men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus saith the Lord, God of Israel, Cursed be the man that obeyeth not the words of this covenant. He goes on to say, Obey my voice and do them according to all which I have commanded, so you shall be my people, and I will be your God. But then he says in verse 9, And the Lord said unto me, A conspiracy is found among the men of Judah and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They are turned they are turned back to their iniquities of their forefathers. This is what's going on in Lakeland. Which refused to hear my words, and they went after other gods to serve them. Again, exactly what's going on in the charismatic movement. And the house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant, which... I made with their fathers. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon them, which, which they shall not be able to escape. That's what's coming. This is judgment must begin in the house of the Lord. And God's letting them have it their way for a time. He's sending the strong delusion, but it's not going to keep on forever. And those that they shall cry unto me, I will not hearken unto them. So there's going to come a time where it's not going to matter what they pray. Because he's not going to hearken to them. Then shall the cries of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem go and cry unto the gods unto whom they offer incense. But they shall not save them at all in the time of trouble. Can you imagine on the day of Todd Bentley's visitation when he cries out to the, to the king of hell, this fallen angel Emma? But you know what? Emma's not going to be there to save him. She'll send some onis so they can usher him into hell on a fiery chariot. No, I'm just... I'm just you know, saying what the uh, what the legends are about these things. Verse 13, For according to the number of thy cities were thy gods. They had a different god for every city. That's what that basically is saying. A different false god for every city. O Judah, according to the number of the streets of Jerusalem, have you set up altars to that shameful thing, even altars to burn incense unto Baal. When the chief pagan deities um, that's talked about here. Verse 14, Therefore, Pray not thou for this people. There comes a time when you've crossed the line over and over and over again with God, where God will just say, don't even pray for them. Well, where does it say that? Well, if you go to Jeremiah 7, Jeremiah 11, where we're at right now, and Jeremiah 14, and you reference 1 John chapter 5, where it talks about the sin unto death, that's where I believe it gives you a description of that. Okay, where you get to a point where you've crossed the line with God so many times, he says, don't even pray for them. I'm not going to listen to you anymore. They've crossed the line. And that's up to God to decide where the line's crossed. Therefore, pray not thou for this people, neither lift up a cry of prayer for them, for I will not hear them in the time that they cry unto me for their trouble. I don't know. Maybe they've already got to that point. Maybe most of the people at Lakeland are already there. It's not really for me to judge that. But I'm just saying they could be there already. Now let's go to verse 18, where it talks about this. And the Lord hath given me knowledge of it. This is Jeremiah talking, and I know it. Then thou showest me their doings. Verse 19, But I was like a lamb or an ox that is brought to the slaughter. And I knew not that they had devised devices against me, saying, Let us destroy the tree with the fruit thereof, and let us cut him off from the land of the living, and his name may no more be remembered. This is exactly like how the people at Lakeland who are going to embrace these things are going to feel about you and I. When, they're, when, when these types of things that we're doing today to expose them come out, they're going to want to slaughter us like a lamb or an ox for slaughter. And they're going to devise things against us 
to say, let us destroy the tree and the fruit thereof, because our very presence convicts them of the abject sin that they're in, particularly if we're preaching against it according to the word of God. That's what's going to happen. Now, I'm not going to say they're going to just come and slaughter everybody, okay? Because the Lord's perfectly capable of protecting you. But I'm saying that's what they'd like to do. And that's how Jeremiah felt. Okay? But, O Lord God of hosts, thou that judgest righteously, that triest the reins and the heart, let me see thy vengeance on them. That's what Jeremiah was saying. You know what? If God judges that, and, and God does take vengeance in this life, there will be hope for some of them in the next life. Because some will get right and get saved and see in fear and declare the work of God. Why? Because they will wisely consider of God's doing according to Psalm 64. And therefore let us cut off, let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name be remembered no more. Okay, then it goes verse 20, I've, I've read this. But O Lord of hosts, that judgest righteously, that trieth the reins and the heart, let me see thy vengeance on them, for unto thee have I revealed my cause. Therefore thus saith the Lord of the men of Antioch, that seek thy life, saying, Prophesy not in the name of the Lord, that thou die not by our hand. In other words, they're saying, you better shut your mouth. Because your prophecies are contradicting all our prophets of Baal. And if you don't shut your mouth, you're going to die by our hand. That's what it's saying. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will punish them. The young men shall die by the sword. Their sons and their daughters shall die by famine. And there shall be no remnant of them. For I will bring evil upon the men of Antioch, even the year of their visitation. Those days are coming. I believe that to a certain extent. I think that's going to happen. I just do not believe that this is just going to get worse and worse and worse and God's power is not going to be de demonstrated anywhere in the earth. And I don't mean power like this Lakeland debacle. I'm talking about the Lord's holy power truly demonstrated and manifested that His name would be glorified, that Jesus Christ truly be lifted up and no false demonic angel or no man be lifted up because no flesh will glory in His presence. So, Jeremiah spoke out fearlessly and drew upon himself the anger of the court by predicting the capture and the ultimate destruction of Jerusalem. This wasn't popular. He was forced into hiding during the reign of the tyrannical Jericoium, who showed their contempt not only for him, but for the word of the Lord by cutting up and burning the roll of Jeremiah's prophecies. That's where he took a penknife and cut it up and threw it into the fire, into the hearth, as it talks about. They chose the things they wanted to hear and became enraged with Jeremiah, even putting him into a pit. That was where the Ethiopian eunuch pulled him out. That's a cool story about the Ethiopian eunuch, because there's also an Ethiopian eunuch in the New Testament that relates to that Ethiopian eunuch, which is really neat. But we don't have time to go down that rabbit trail today. The ear-tickling false prophets of Jeremiah's day have passed away into obscurity while everyone remembers God's prophet Jeremiah. Okay, so these other false prophets of Baal passed away. He was vindicated when his prophecies came true, which is the test of a prophet, according to Deuteronomy 18. Um, Jeremiah 10.23 says, The way of a man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. It's particularly true of a, of a born-again Christian. You know? Jeremiah's statement is just as valid today as it was when he wrote it. Unfortunately, people looking for material success in this world do not necessarily understand spiritual success in the spirit world. Jesus might be 
uh, must be the dominant part of us so that when we become known to the world as men and women of God, as we learn obedience and dependence upon the teaching of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, we are able to see the works of Satan and detect the true works of God. And that's what, why I'm doing this teaching today. So that we can discern between good and evil, right and wrong, black and white. Heresies exist, but the Holy Spirit exposes them in His Word. Um, so, so we are supposed to discern the difference between God's true servants and the false servants. Real faith is having confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ and that He is working on our behalf. Unbelief will not wait for God to work. And that's a very common theme. We want God and we want Him now. We want Him on our terms, in our way. It doesn't work like that. And all of this boils down to faith. That's what it all boils down to. And they don't have a true faith. They've got faith in lying signs and wonders, in men, in religions, in ministries, in false doctrine. But they don't have faith in the Word of God. They don't have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, that's all I have for today. I'll go ahead and close this out in a word of prayer here. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time that you've given us, Lord. It's humbling, Lord God, to come before you in the name of Jesus Christ and to see the abject apostasy that's going on in these pseudo-Christian churches and circles and things of this nature. I do pray, Lord God, in the name of Jesus Christ, if it be your will, Lord God, that you would stop what is going on up in Lakeland. And, Lord God, I pray it would be done in such a way, in the name of Jesus Christ, that your name would be glorified, and that great fear would fall upon these people, and that those that could be saved would be saved, and that that fear would drive them to repentance. I pray, Lord God, you do whatever it takes to get their attention in a biblical way, Lord God. And that your true power would be manifested. And that, Lord God, in regard to this matter, that judgment would begin in the house of the Lord. For we need that judgment in the name of Jesus Christ. They need it, Lord God. They need it. Because what hope will any of them have of repenting in the name of Jesus Christ unless you intervene, Lord God? I pray, God, the wicked that are vessels that are fitted for destruction, that are fitted for the wrath of God, these wicked that go astray as soon as they be born, and they are astray from the womb, I pray, Lord God, they be dealt with, that all men would see and fear and declare the work of God, that they would wisely consider of your doing, and that the righteous would be glad and rejoice and trust in you, and that all the upright heart would glory, according to Psalm 64. And that, Lord God, you would hide your remnant, the body of Christ, under the shadow of your wings would we make our refuge until this calamity be overpassed, that we would be accounted worthy of the first resurrection and to escape all the things that are coming upon this world, Lord God in heaven, that we would endure to the end in the name of Jesus Christ, that we would never ever deny you and that by the power of the Holy Spirit that all these things would be accomplished through us. I just praise you and I thank you, Lord God. I do pray that you would forgive us for any and all sins that we have committed in any way, shape, or form. That you would cleanse us from presumptuous sins and secret faults that they would not have dominion over us. That the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart would be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord God. And that through the body of Christ you would lead many people to the Lord and that your name would be glorified. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.